Welcome to the Mending Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Hoyt, and along with my sister, Lena Hoyt, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we want to help you recover from trauma, whether it's childhood trauma, complex trauma, PTSD, or any other trauma sustained from abuse or narcissistic relationships, we want to help you develop skills and ways that can help you to recover from the symptoms and the effects of trauma. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Amy here. Are you feeling stuck or overwhelmed by things that pop up in your daily life? And perhaps these are because of past traumas or toxic stress. Have you tried traditional therapy and found that it wasn't enough? I know that was the case for me. That's why we developed the Whole Health Lab. Mini Trauma has put together a program that combines the latest research with proven methods to help you recover from trauma and move forward from these daily stressors and triggers. We use somatic therapy, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, and internal family systems therapy. We use nervous system regulation, and many other tools so that we can combine the best methods that are identified in the research to help you recover without being completely overwhelmed. So you can work on trauma on your own pace, your own time, and still with the mentorship and support of a highly trained certified staff. That's us. No more waiting for appointments or sitting in traffic, driving to see a therapist. With our online program, The Whole Health Lab, you can access it from anywhere, anytime, even on an app. Visit mendingtrauma.com backslash whole health lab and learn more. Get your questions answered. We've got a frequently asked questions section and sign up so that you can have this life-changing program in your world today. Don't let your past hold you back any longer. Take control of your future and we can't wait to see you in The Whole Health Lab. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to be here today. We are continuing our theme of this month of looking at addiction or substance use since it is still dry January. And we touched on that last week, but we want to go a little deeper this week and look at some of the symptoms of addiction. So before we do that, let's talk about addiction in general And the difference, how do you know if it's, you know, overuse of something or addiction? That's a super great question. Um, One of the things that we're taught in school when we're learning how to become counselors is um, how to do a quick assessment for addiction. And some of the things that are on that list are, has anybody ever told you that it would be better if you cut down or eliminated the behavior? Have you had to engage in more of the behavior to satisfy uh, the urge or the craving that you have? And um, how much is it disrupting your daily life? How much energy, time, thought process do you spend focusing on it in your daily life? And then there, of course, are some other things like How are the behaviors that you're engaging in affecting your relationships, your ability to function well at work or at home or at school? And all of those are things that we can look into when we're trying to figure out uh, if we are moving from overuse or or abuse of 
of something into an actual diction? Those are great questions to ask. The other thing I remember um, from my experience with alcohol dependence and alcohol addiction was the level of secrecy that I needed to maintain. Yes. That's awesome. Good point. So when, you know, when I, I always had a level of secrecy because, you know, there wasn't alcohol use in the home and in our, you know, um, home of origin where we grew up. And so there wasn't as, since I wasn't an adult, it wasn't, there wasn't any format that it would be okay for me to be drinking. But one thing that we learned when I was in rehab and living in a halfway house was that secrecy, you know, comes from that shame that we have, which is tied to addiction. And so when you start being really secretive about the behavior or the use then that can also be a sign. So are you going literally into the pantry and taking a swig or, you know, cause you don't want anyone to know how much you're drinking. Are you um, hiding, like sneaking to get food? So all of those behaviors have a level of secrecy and that can be a big clue uh, about whether this is simply an overuse or addiction. That's a great point. I like that you brought up the shame and the secrecy together. One other thing that I'm thinking of is um, because we can be addicted to almost anything, really. And I'm thinking about some of the people I've worked with in the past who have opened credit cards that are not, that nobody else, that like their partner or spouse doesn't know about. So they can maintain an addiction about shopping or other things. And um, the idea behind paying attention to the shame and the secrecy is that when we're involved in behavior that we, some part of us knows is out of control, then we will start sneaking around and there will be a ton of shame around it. And, And finding the shame or being able to notice our behavior or our process without judgment is really important. It's very hard to do. But it becomes really important if we want to have any positive changes. I love that um, because for me, once I the shame was so tied up in the early trauma, right, and trying to numb the memories and the sensations that were coming to me from that early trauma, that I couldn't stand. Um, it was just it was so linked to numbing the shame from trauma. And then, you know, it just got piled on the shame of how I was dealing with it. Because at the time, I didn't even realize that that was a coping mechanism. I just thought I was a bad person. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's just such an important point that you're making. I know that you mentioned we can be addicted to anything. And so let's quickly talk about what are some of the things that we see in terms of addiction? What what are some addictions that we wouldn't normally think about? Well, we've talked a lot in our, in our podcast before about numbing behaviors. Um, I can remember a few years ago, one of my teenagers I was working with, and he, <laughs> he was asking me, like, have you seen this show? Have you seen this movie? And I, I had been working with him a few years, so he 
kind of knew I didn't really watch a lot of TV or movies. And, and I said, no, I don't really watch anything. Da, 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 I just read. And he looked at me and he said, have you ever thought that you might be addicted to reading? And I started laughing and I was like, I'm totally addicted to reading. Because <laughs> one of the things that reading does is it helps me um, escape. So it's one of those coping tools that isn't necessarily wrong or bad or good or, um, you know, awesome. It's just something that I overuse when I'm numbing out. And so we can numb out with anything. Uh, I have one client I worked with about 12 years ago who um, finally gave up her e-reader because she was addicted to reading um, books with really violent sexual content and she was an abuse survivor. And so um, it, it was so hard for her to let that go that she had to let her e-reader go. So it was harder for her to access materials. And she did a really great job. She got involved in a 12-step program and really was on a great path to healing. Um, but yeah, we can be addicted to anything. That's a really good point because you know, reading is so benign, but if you're using it to escape, um, your responsibilities that you've committed to or your children, or, you know, I know you don't have children, but I'm just saying in general, if we're using something and the rest of our lives are kind of falling apart because we're not able to tear ourselves away from this thing, then that's, that's where we can get really benevolently curious about the thing that's taking up all of our time and energy. Yes. Yeah. Great, great way to put it. And I love the benevolent curiosity because we can't, as soon as we go into this place where, where we think, I'm so lame or I'm a loser or I'm a bad person because I'm not taking care of my responsibilities. As soon as we go into that way of thinking or into that sympathetic nervous system response, we, we are going to be driven to do more of that maladaptive coping because we've now increased the level of distress by labeling ourselves or by um, telling ourselves that we're terrible or bad or wrong. That's right. And we know that when we are curious and we're kind about it with ourselves, that that takes us into an observer role. And the minute you become in the observer role, you get out of the limbic system and you reconnect to your prefrontal cortex, which is your wise mind, and you're able to actually start to make choices. Because when you're in the limbic system, you have no choice. You are reacting and you are in fight flight. So um, what we, you know, we talk a lot about the nervous system and we do a lot of work with our clients on the nervous system. How is the nervous system related to addiction? Let's talk about that a little bit and break it down for our listeners. Sure. Well, what do you see? Because you, you have both personal experience, but you've also coached a lot of people into like through their sobriety journey. So when we talk about, you know, how addictive behaviors serve us and, and what is going on with the nervous system, what do you observe? Yeah, I, what I see is a 
you know, we know from trauma that we get stuck in a perpetual fight, flight, freeze mode. And it's all subconscious. So this is all happening below our conscious awareness. And when we are in constant fight, flight, freeze, we are in the limbic brain and we see that that um, the vagus nerve, which connects our brain to our nervous system, really is sending signals of danger and distress constantly throughout our body. And so what I see is a desperation to calm that sense of danger and um, which is ultimately dysregulation. And so it feels for me, it feels like I'm crawling out of my skin. It feels like I can literally hear popping in my ears when I'm dysregulated. Um, I feel so on edge. I, all I want to do is find a way to calm myself down. And before I had the tools of nervous system regulation, which we know are somatic and body-based, such as breath work and tapping and so forth, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know I was dysregulated. I just knew I was agitated. And second of all, I had no idea what to do. So drinking or eating or, you know, shopping, whatever it was, was a way to Right. Self-soothe. And it works to some degree. And, yes. and it works. It works. And so then the brain, you know, gets a deeper neuro pathway and it's like, that worked great. Let's do that again. Let's do it every night. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's do it every morning. Right. So um, I'm super grateful. I feel like nervous system regulation work for me has been a huge game changer because even after, you know, 10 years of sobriety, it wasn't until I added the somatic tools that I was able to actually not feel like I was crawling out of my skin. Yeah. Especially like if you're, if you have young children, that's to me has been the greatest test of how to pay attention to my nervous system because you've signed up for this role as a parent to essentially um, put your needs second, right? especially with young children and not in a way that you're the martyr, but in a way that they will not survive if you constantly put yourself yes, first. <laughs> so it is a biological and an emotional imperative to prioritize their safety and their well-being. Yes. Right. Yep. And we can also have our own well-being at the same time, but there's critical times where we have to kind of um, pull our our own needs back. And I feel like there's nothing like parenting that will dysregulate a nervous system quicker, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced anything because it's so constant yes. and the needs don't really end. Right. Um, and so that's that's been my biggest challenge as an adult is learning to use these skills to stay present and to stay calm without using those numbing mechanisms. Yes. It's, it's so great that 
you've been in this place of awareness throughout your journey and that you have been able to notice the things that really are helpful to you. I had a challenge last night at dinner, as you saw. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh my gosh, y'all. Um, all my work, I feel like flew out the window. I was just like, I can't deal with this. There was so much noise. My ears were popping. I was having so many reactions internally and then externally. I was like, you need to stop. I was just really agitated by one, one of my children who was being, I felt really loud And, um, I don't know if that's accurate though, because when I get in those spaces where my ears are popping, Mm -hmm. I just feel like everything's louder and I, everything's heightened. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't handle it the way I wanted to. And, you know, that's why you apologize afterwards. But you still handled (laughs) it really well. I thought, because you didn't lose your temper. And you didn't go into like this place of blaming or shaming. You repeated a few times, like, I need the noise to stop, which is very different than saying to your kid, why do you always have to be so noisy? Right. Yeah. I guess I think the one of the challenges of this work is the internal dialogue is like, why do you have to be so noisy? And then using an external dialogue that is, please stop. I need the noise level to come down. This is, this is too loud because inside I'm, I'm way upset. And so I'm trying to translate what I need without showing how angry I am because they're just kids. Right. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong wrong. with what he was doing. Exactly. He's just very, um, he's very busy and talkative and he's smart as heck. And so, Yeah. So it was just a challenge, but just that's all to say, we talk about these things, we practice these things. And sometimes, you know, I, I still fall short and life happens. And, um, and then I apologize to my kids if I'm not handling things the way I feel like I know I could have. Right. Yes. And I think that's just part of being human. Um, Uh, The post I made today for our program was about capacity. And there are some times when we wake up and we have a lot of capacity and we go throughout the day and things are draining and tiring and it takes lots of energy. And then, I mean, I know this is true. In the evenings, we always have less less capacity. That's just part of how we get drained throughout the day. And so being able to understand that um, you can have that internal dialogue of <laughs> what is wrong with you that you won't be quiet, but the way you act is different. And then the power of the apology is tremendous. Most people who have had a lot of trauma don't have a lot of experience with receiving apologies. And it's really excellent Um modeling and and the opportunity for wiring for our kids for how to make repair attempts when we've behaved in a way that we don't like. And all all of the things that you're talking about are that they come out of trauma and this subconscious reactivity to perceived threat and noise can be a perceived threat. 
especially if you grew up in a chaotic, violent home. So yeah, dinner time is is triggering for me, which is really sad. It's it's actually really really tragic when I think about it. Um, I get to make dinner time different most nights than than how I experienced my family of origin. I think that's great. You're able to share that, Amy. I think I think when we're able to talk about things that are real and our own challenges, it really can give people a sense of like there's hope. Because even people who do this professionally, they still have their own work to do. We're still doing our own work and we're still working on um, finding ways to heal our own nervous system even more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I never want to um, have anyone feel like somehow we're done and complete on this journey because even though, you know, most days I've been able to um, really process the things that have happened and, and show up in a way that's different and intentional. There are times that, that it's difficult and that's okay. Yes. It's part of being So here. we know that the nervous system is driving addiction. We know the nervous system needs to um, regulate it, if you will. And let me just add a caveat that when we talk about nervous system regulation, the goal isn't to constantly be in a good mood or to constantly be calm. The goal is to have flexibility in our nervous system because a nervous system, it's, um, I mean, its job is to keep us safe. And there are going to be actual threats and there are going to be actual times where we need to be in a more dorsal state where we need to rest Yeah, hunker down, exactly, and preserve energy. So when we talk about nervous system regulation, I just want all of our listeners to understand it's not to be 100% calm. It's that we want flexibility so that we can be in a ventral vagal state, which is rest and digest. And then we can be in sympathetic, which is fight or flight when there is an actual, actual accurate danger. And then we can be in dorsal when we need to hunker down and maintain and preserve resources. So nervous system is absolutely linked to addiction. And I think the final thing we should probably address is how to do that. Um, and there's a couple things I'm thinking of. One, of course, we have our nervous system reset journal that we've talked about. Um, and we'll link that in the show notes, but that's also on our website and it's, you know, it's $7. It's a digital download, but it's awesome. It gives you tools to use when you're feeling like you need to shift into a different nervous system state. But the other piece that you and I have talked about quite a bit is the beauty of seeking out a 12-step program if you feel like you're moving into that addictive state. One of the things I love about a 12-step program is that it enhances awareness. And we can change without awareness, but it's usually only done through fear. And so if we want to have lasting change and we want to rewire our brain and have a different nervous system experience, 
we have to learn how to pay attention and use that awareness and insight to make changes. And when you are in a 12-step program, one of the main things is to um, let go of control, but also to notice your own behavior. And if we can stay out of shame while we're noticing, then we have kind of a superpower. And all my work in 12 steps, I've never had the experience of feeling um, a lot of shame in a meeting ever. It's very, very loving and accepting and understanding. Yes. I did one time uh, when I first started going to meetings, I had someone kind of berate me in front of the whole group. And yeah, he was an older gentleman and I just talked to him afterwards and explained how it affected me. And he apologized and, um, you know, we continued to go to the same group for a while, but in general, I, that was the only time and I've been to a lot of 12 step meetings. So I think that the structure of the 12 step meeting and the 12 step program is set up in order to reduce shame, in order to increase awareness, and really in order to help us move out of that addictive behavior. And the other thing that we were talking about earlier um, before we started recording was the ability to find somebody that you love and trust or who loves and trusts you and go to them with your concerns about your own behavior. And when we've grown up with a lot of trauma, sometimes we don't have a person like that in our life. Um, and that might be a time to involve a professional or to get involved with a church group and a pastor or a, a leader who can help with that. But being able to talk about the hardest things for us, the things that we're most ashamed of, it does something to the nervous system. It helps to start calming the nervous system down and coming out of secrecy is also really powerful. And the 12 steps has, have, has its own step and mechanism for this, but there are other ways too, that we can move towards healing. Absolutely. And just so that our listeners understand while our program, the whole health lab is focused on recovering from trauma. Um, we absolutely do help people with addictive tendencies as well because they are so linked. And so that is another safe place to look at if you're looking for more help with this, but thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, we're grateful that you're here and we hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mending Trauma Podcast. Lane and I are really grateful that you spend time with us each week. We know you have a choice and that time is currency. We would love if you would share this episode on social media and tag us so we can reshare. If you feel so inclined, go and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to pods so that we can get the word out and help more people. We know that we are all working hard on our mental health and we wish you great success this week in implementing these new skills. We'll check in next week.